0: Welcome to Unhappy Times and Misplaces, in which I, Mr. Toby Haydoke with an eye patch, gets a special guest to tell me their favourite things about a Doctor Who story, and I have to guess what those favourite things are, or have everyone
1: shot. Hi Toby, it's, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, for the multitudes out there who don't know me, my name's Jeremy Raddick and I played Gareth in the Doctor Who TV movie. And for the past 25 years, uh, I've been uh, shamelessly exploiting that to get me into exciting predicaments like this. Um, and now it's, you know, it's brought me here uh, to my basement uh, to talk to you about Inferno.
0: Well, welcome back. It's episode three of Inferno. I'm so excited. I actually just pressed play and then went, oh no, I need to do an introduction. Uh, Jeremy Raddick, uh, who starred in the Doctor Who TV movie. Ah, somebody who's been in Doctor Who. This is never going to fail to thrill me that my life intersects with those of people uh, who've, uh, you know, who, 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 who are made up of stardust. You know, there's they've 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 uh they are part of you know uh, uh, even if a small part uh, uh, they are part of Doctor Who's DNA. Nobody will ever take that away and uh, it thrills me when uh, people um, who have uh, have that accolade next to their name uh, would even respond to uh, uh, a summons from me so. Um, I'm so delighted uh, that Jeremy has done so and has done so so brilliantly. I almost took a break and went and tried to see if I could find an eye patch (laughs) or or at least change my cravat for a tie like Greg Sutton's about to do. But uh, in the end, uh, I actually was supposed to do bit less work on my podcasts and stuff today Uh, and uh, but I need to put something out so I thought well I'll just do a quick trailer for what's coming up and that took me all day so um, uh, yeah uh, uh, I'm, I'm tired and I didn't want to add to that by changing costume for what is largely an audio thing although if you are listening to the audio version some months later down the line a video version will appear if you're watching the video version, that's what this is. Um, so look, it's episode three. It's where Inferno starts to do the things that everybody talks about. So we've had a great time so far. So I can imagine things can only get better. And Of course, in Doctor Who terms, that means worse. So press play in three, two, one, now. Uh, so I'm watching on the special edition DVD. Um, which looks better than Inferno ever has. I I suspect if it goes onto Blu-ray, they might even make it look even better because they seem to consistently come up with uh, with ways of improving the pictures. But I I have to say, you could see sort of streaks of of, of colour, and also there is a slight sort of blurriness to, to, to the movement and to the to the to the picture makeup that betrays its origins, that gives it a slightly different look. This this stock uh, footage from. Uh, from oh what was the guy called um i can't remember i did know this once uh uh the beautiful lava footage isn't lava amazing it looks absolutely fantastic but of course it's boiling and it moves and it's like liquid fire so it's great for science fiction uh and it's so it's wonderful for doctor who um so doctor who is on film there uh as he takes the console and conveniently bessie uh uh and uh and and this is where of course it's become a great uh staple of sci-fi now where that if you have a especially if you have something that has an ensemble of characters and seven seasons you got to do a couple of episodes where the actors get to play, play leather clad lesbian versions of themselves that's that's generally that's generally the thing isn't it um and where the actors get to have a little bit of fun um I would say the actors don't particularly have fun here because they they play it deadly straight, um, and and this this doesn't have the same vibe as it might do for an American show like when Buffy and and Deep Space Nine do it, which they do very very effectively, um, you know, although with the obligatory um, uh, leather leather and sapphic quotient. Uh, but um, as we will see, um, although this uh, actually a lot of this episode, uh, it's interesting. I remember when I first saw this, that it, it 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 takes a while for the Doctor to realize, which again, coming in as enough as a fan when one knew that the, 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 the main headline with Inferno was it's got the alternative world version. Um, I was slightly impatient with it because I was wanting to see what that that was like. But of course, in terms of when you're setting it up as part of the story um, uh, you know you do want because the audience don't know what's happened the Doctor has made an allusion to the fact that he you know he, he, uh, he'd he done the time warp um, uh, but you know we do, we don't know that one of these alternative worlds is a fascist state etc etc and that is sort of seeded in very subtly um, yes and Sir so, so Keith's Quite an Im- uh, important character. He's so nice, isn't he, uh, Christopher Benjamin? He has such a, a gentle nature. Um, uh, and, and this is when the series is being slightly nicer towards people from the government. I mean, we're only uh, uh, one story away from Brown Rose, three away from Chin, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and government officials get increasingly uh, stupider and more broadly played. Um, as the series, uh, as the Pertwee era continues. Um, his hair gets more bouffant and his uh, dealings with ministers uh, involves more affront uh, as as time goes on. Uh, but Sir Keith is, is uh, nice. And I hadn't really sort of considered him much as a character because my first experience of Inferno was a Doctor Who episode guide in a, an old copy of doc 2 magazine ah yes the doctor has uh traveled to an alternative universe via the medium of the disco ball um let's all meet up in uh, a, a, an alternative universe um uh so um i'd only read you know i'd read the episode endings because in doc 2 magazine um you know the it either had the archives which was a full sort of description of what happened in the story which was exciting enough i didn't get doctor who magazine very often and i occasionally inherited or found copies um or you know people who were chucking them out you know friends of mum at work say oh this we're chucking this out do you want one? so i'd got very very odd copies and some of them were very yellowed and old and it's clearly been through the wars and, and and past owners and i did have the one f- that had season seven in it um and I remember sort of you know the brigade leader featuring quite heavily, but he wasn't in the cast list. And of course, because I was so young when I was reading a lot of this stuff, I I, I didn't I didn't really see know what it meant. So I didn't actually know necessarily about the alternative universe element of it. I was quite confused because I think there's a bit where Benton threatens to shoot the Doctor. But that was my that was my first experience. Now the picture on the wall: Unity is strength. Is Jack Kyne head of the BBC Visual Effects Department. Uh, That is a bit of an in-joke. Jack Kine was actually a very nice man. Um, I wrote to him about Quatermass. It was forwarded to him by the BBC Visual Effects Department, who, in fact, Matt Irvin of the BBC Visual Effects Department rang me up to say that they were going to forward it because I wrote Care Of and told me about his thoughts and involvement with Quatermass. Uh, It's a testament to how brilliant Matt is. I was at school, by the way. I just got in from school when I got this phone call and I spoke to Matt Irvin off of TV's Doctor Who and Swap Shop talking about TV's Doctor Who. Uh, And I wrote to Jack and he sent me a tape with his memories of working on Quatermass. What a nice man. And he said some very encouraging words that I will always treasure. Um, I like the the, the logo for... um, you know, it's obviously a sort of play on the swastika. Although it does make me one worry about road signs in uh, the alternative earth, because the fascist logo is is three arrows pointing in different directions. So, I mean, how do you how do you know when you're heading somewhere if that's just you know a patriotic stamp or an actual direction? Uh, so, I would say they're yeah, their graphic designers are have have perhaps. Um, need to get back to the drawing board and uh, use a few less directions in their uh, f- f- fascistic emojiing. Um, so this is uh, Private Cheery Private Latimer, played by the cheerful-faced David Simeon, uh, who was in Episode One, which we're expected to remember. And I love that about uh, Doctor who of this period that we, uh, you know, we-, we remember things three weeks later. Um, now you'd have had a whole pre-title sequence showing pretty much all of his stuff as being important in order for it to resonate this week. Anyway, times are change. Um Is this the bit where Alan Chuns, the stuntman, I think gets hit by Bessie uh, and was taken to hospital because uh, uh, he got hit by Bessie going at 35 miles an hour? And I think the story Chris Doyley-John, production assistant, told was that If it wasn't him that told it, it was John Pertwee that told it that 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 was sort of like, don't don't tell my wife. (laughs) And also uh, insisted on coming back to work because he didn't want uh, Pertwee to feel bad for. For having hurt him. I love the stunt boys. I never met Chunzi. He looked like Charles Aznavour. Um, uh, He's uh, he's the chauffeur in Seeds of Doom. Gets the odd speaking part. Um, This is Roy Scammell could tell from his trademark blonde hair and uh, the fact that he's gonna fall off this roy scammell falls off things even i mean when we did that documentary he was 82 and he fell off something uh, that i then had to fall off um but yeah these these stunt guys are really worth their their uh their weight in gold because you know they just bring added value to every shot that they're in um Uh, and added uh, and adds to the credibility having guys that are comfortable with all the physical stuff and all the charging about. Pardon me. Um, I think it was Chris Doyley-John's idea that John Pertwee hid in the bins as well. And I love that. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? That's (laughs) John Pertwee with a bin on his head. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. In fact, I don't think he's in a bin there, is he? I think that's a clever camera angle uh where where yeah so it's great because it gets the brilliant shot but but uh, john doesn't have to get um get, put cabbage on his velvet um so this stuff is all great and of course yeah i was impatient with it as a youth because i'd since the doctor Who magazine i'd learned about uh the alternative earth these angles are great isn't it look at what this this location affords you look at that that's giddying and if you don't like heights that is and that's a lot higher than the 18 foot i was on and the 18 foot i was on was pretty scary um so yeah i'm glad jeremy and i both chose the location and the way that Camfield shoots it because of course yes Camfield fell ill douglas canfield the director fell ill he had a heart condition uh in fact he died in 1984 at i think the age of about I'm going to be terrified now. I think he might have been about 48 and I record this at the age of 47. God. And I feel like I've I've got a lot to, to do before my life is uh, anywhere near complete. Um, uh, and of course, now I've always found the sort of, you know, the fire extinguisher smoke of the movie Daleks rather comical, but we've established that these monsters are hot so of course, the coolness of a fire extinguisher is going to slow them down. So that's perfect. It gives you a visual. It's a cheap, uh, it's a cheap effect because it's just a fire extinguisher. Uh, but it's a cool-looking method of dispatch. Um, that yeah, that 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 makes absolute sense. Love the way that Derek wear again. It's the physicality that these guys have. I love the way that Derek, uh, you know, is not holding on to anything here uh he, he does here as he slides down but that's because he's leapt over it and then he you know staggers down this this sort of incline uh, at the end of which is if you you know your momentum carries you too much you're gonna wake over that and fall off i think this action stuff is so top draw um and Roy Scammell is the fall guy. So Roy Scammell is actually doubling for another stuntman because uh, they cast... us a- And that's Roy Scammell. So Roy Scammell shoots himself because Roy is the fall guy. So he does the fall here. And that is a cracking stunt that I think got into the Guinness Book of Records. Um, that's a great shot from underneath where you can see all the stuntmen. Terry Walsh, Billy Horrigan there, De- Derek Martin, later famous in EastEnders. Derek's a lovely, lovely fella. Um... But that's a brilliant stunt. Got into the Guinness Book of Records. But Roy was the fall guy, and also, you know, you do, when when an actor's playing a part, you 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 wouldn't nece- you wouldn't want them to do that fall anyway, because because if the stuntman dies, you can still do the acting scenes with the actor if any need to be picked up. Whereas you you, you can't if the actor who's a stuntman dies. You have to be pragmatic in television. Um, now, Liz is wig is different isn't it on location to the studio and it's it's quite an alarming wig that one it's like she's borrowed it off a monoid uh I, I have to say I think she has the and a bit of it's gone a bit skew if it's a, a bit 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 sort of hanging out out on the left hand side I think she has the better of it in the studio uh it's uh but yeah um this is great because this is really intriguing stuff okay why Liz so severe and has different hair. I mean, Liz has always got different hair. We need to talk. Liz's hair changes. Liz's hair changes more often than Quatermass's face. And they're both on television for so of time. And this is the uh, birth of one of the great Doctor Who anecdotes. Uh, Nicholas Courtney saying when uh, turning around, and everybody else in the scene is wearing uh, eye patches, and of course, being the unflappable. Professional that he was, he carried on acting uh, because that's what he do. I love Nicholas Courtney. Um, I love his. I love him as the. I think we sometimes take Nicholas Courtney for granted. I was talking about Ian Fairbairn. Nicholas Courtney always made himself available to fans, but also because the Brigadier is so likable, and there's a certain decency that um, both. The Brigadier and Nicholas Courtney and a certain unflappability and a certain charm, which means that there's a lot of similarities between the character and the actor who played him, who we all came to know and love. It's easy to forget that he's a very good actor Um, and actually perhaps more versatile than we would think because he so often got because of his, his, his voice and height and looks and association with the Brigadier often got the same sorts of parts he's so good in this and i love that scar and i love the fact that although liz is the second lead you know the the real kicker is actually the real difference in this alternative world the the big bad is is actually the brigadier who's our dependable you know our dependable sidekick guy in 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 uh because you need Liz to actually have that uh, chink of humanity and, and, you know, she 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 eventually becomes an ally with the Doctor. I love the fact that the Brigadier stays stays bad. Oh, yes, and um, Jack Kine being the big brother figure on the wall because he's head of the BBC Visual Effects Department is also a nod to the fact that Jack Kine and his co-head and founder of the BBC Visual Effects Department, Bernard Wilkie, worked in 1954 on... George Orwell's 1984, as adapted by Nigel Neal and Rudolf Cartier, um, who had done the Crater Mass serials uh, on which uh, Kine and Wilkie cut their teeth. Um, and in that 1984, a BBC designer called Roy Oxley, um, his photo was used to play Big Brother. So that's a sort of nod to that as well. Um, but Jack Kine was not a, a severe dictator kind of guy, he was a chucklesome. Uh, witty fellow and I have as I say a, a tape recording some of that was used on the commentary for the Quatermass and the Blu-ray uh, where his character shines through, what a nice man he was and very helpful and he said some words to me as I say that I will not forget because I was a kid, I was a teenager and I think he sensed that but he didn't come out and say it so much Um, but he, he said some words that that when I was living out in the countryside in the middle of nowhere and television and all of that seemed like a million miles away and I, you know, felt I didn't have what it took to get me anywhere, really. You know, I, all I had were my dreams. Um, he sort of told me they were achievable. And that meant a lot coming from somebody whose name had touched the credits of Doctor Who. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I've been very lucky like that. People are kind we mustn't forget that people are kind um and if 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 you know if you can be a positive impact on somebody's life it it really does make much more of an impression than if you're a negative one so i guess the message is don't be the warp 2 version of yourself be the warp, warp 1 version of yourself we've all because we all have i mean uh, and, uh, me too we all have uh our dark sides and we all can sometimes that the worst aspects of our personalities Dictate our behaviour. Now, what's interesting is this isn't really overtly saying this so much. It just goes, "This is a great wheeze. Let's uh, let's have this as uh, the storyline. Let's let's have everything a bit different." But it's a brilliant addition to the story. But it also, I think, does have a sort of profound underlying message, which, again, to its credit, it doesn't really sort of wag its finger at us too much about it. But it does. As I'm talking about it, I'm thinking about you know how under different circumstances the worst of us are brought out but actually what I love about Greg in particular is that, and he's not flawless as established in episode one he can be a bit of a berk um, his his innate goodness his gutsy bravery um, shines through on both sides of the warp I'm, I'm going to say the warp more about Inferno than I, I've never said it before ha 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 but I it, it just I, I I, remember that, you know, in the in the in the paperwork and stuff, you know, the extras for are for Warp One and Warp Two and blah, 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 blah. Uh, that 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 noise is brilliant. Again, that's just so simple There's something because it is about this is about the earth screaming, isn't it? Uh, and the soundtrack screams uh, and and. Uh, there's that wonderful line, later, isn't it? That's the sound of this planet screaming out its rage. And again, that's about stuff that is bubbling under the surface, that is an energy, but energy that can be again transformed into either good or bad. You know, uh, you know, the, the the transformation of the Earth's the boiling energy with, inside the Earth into something sort of primal and dangerous and best left undisturbed is is thrilling stuff and again that's quite there's something quite crater massive in Nigel Neely about all of the the stories in uh in season 7 and you know Nigel Neely's work is sometimes at its best when it thinks about things from the past that are somehow that are buried and yet somehow still contain their power and this is all about you know going too deep and disturbing things best left buried because we bury dead things but we're scared of dead things now real dead things are of course dead and we bury them for hygiene purposes but 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 i guess the folklore is invented to go no bury them deep so that we don't get the diseases that come with a decaying corpse but the the you know the folklore goes no no bury them because death is scary and 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 spooky and we need to keep spirits down which is which is a way of you know, encouraging us to be hygienic, essentially, is the is the bottom line. But isn't it fascinating that we create scary stories around it? Uh, uh, and, you know, there's a few religious things that are, you know, actually purely about practicality. Um, uh, he's He's got a real... This is a great line. Then you won't feel the bullets when we shoot you. Ha, 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 ha that's funny and he pitches it just right it's a brilliant scar though when you look at it um it's a really simple but effective piece of makeup um and and the subtle i really like the costumes that the uh, rsf guys have as well you know there's a and there's always something about you know nazi versions of things that we like that we're sort of drawn to in drama isn't there i don't know why that is and as that brilliant Mitchell and Webb sketch, as, you know, the, the, the baddies always have the sexiest costumes. Uh, but isn't this, a, isn't this a brilliant... And we get to learn about this world, you know, with central records. And and, and actually, that's the good thing about the story on both sides of the warp, um, is that, you know, Sir Keith Gold is having to answer to stuff that's going on in Whitehall. Although it's a very contained and tense story set within this particular environment... Uh, uh, you know, the, the outside world is brought into play. We get the bigger picture, which, of course, we need to invoke because the consequences of this story are not just to the people in the base. As a lot of Doctor Who stories, you know, it's about that immediate environment getting breached by whatever is outside trying to get in. This is actually the opposite. It's what this unleach, unleashes will we'll, you know, we'll destroy the world. It still seems to me quite Camfield's, you know, camera setups. Um, I'm not a great fan of Barry Letts's direction, which I find a little bit uh, insipid. Um, actually, less so in the stories he doesn't produce. I actually quite like the the direction of uh, Android Invasion and and Enemy of the World. Um, I, I also sympathise with Derek Newark because he had a weak are as i still have it's it's i either disguise it or i've 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 learned to get rid of it but 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 for as a teenager i thought i would never be able to be an actor because i uh, i regaled people with worse r- sounds like rick from the young ones i like that piece of aikido i think that that the doctor going come and do the joke and benton putting his gun down is a is a bit hokey i think uh it's a bit too cozy and lets the side down that i i think it would have it would have probably benefited from a bit more caution and a bit less chumminess because uh it dilutes the threat slightly but it's a bit of fun and doctor who should be fun um and you know it's not like this is a story that is glib and light-hearted most of the time uh in fact the way that they're you know the extras milling about running about the the, the sound uh, 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 that the, i mean newark is so good at keeping the the tension up and the panic um he, you know he's got a blistering presence and a, 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 a an authentic i mean he'd been a serving soldier in in north africa so you know he knew about you know he was he was authentic um and i love this oh there's keith ashley a perennial extra who uh gets a credit as a zygon he's one of the two zygons in terror of the zygons i think that might be his only credit in doctor who oh no he's a dalek in destiny but he's a perennial extra everybody liked keith ashley and he was alive till about 10 years ago and nobody interviewed him i'd have been on him like a shot if i'd had the wherewithal he's probably been dead longer than 10 years 15 um but yeah keith ashley you can spot he's an android invasion as well he's the He's the android that they've take out of the capsule that starts throttling Sarah at one point. Uh, anyway, I'm getting distracted by an extra. I mean, <laughs> uh, again, that that wasn't. I remember reading that um, uh, in in the episode guide and thinking, "Oh, that's not much of a cliffhanger." It's a great cliffhanger because it's lovely, Sergeant Benton threatening to shoot the doctor and it's not just i'll shoot you now it's also and if i don't shoot you now i'll take you outside because there's a firing squad waiting for aren't firing there's something visceral and horrible about firing squads and you know we were quite familiar with those as, as dramatic devices but also as things that occurred in in relatively recent history you know with with, you know during the second world war there was a lot of death by firing squad so there were pictures or they were used in drama and it's quite a it's quite a grim thing a firing squad um well of course that sounds like such a glib thing to say but i just mean everything that goes with it the visual and the the the, the 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 what it is and what it stands for but the fact that you know it wasn't unfamiliar um as as a as a visual um but you knew that it was rooted in reality and that's what makes it that's what makes it sort of more frightening. Um, That's a great episode, isn't it? What am I going to choose as my thing? Can I choose John Pertwee with the pin on his head? I can't. I think I'm going to choose... Well, I've got to choose the Alternative Earth storyline at some point. I've got to choose the Eyepatch story, or have I? I'm fond of the Eyepatch, because the Eyepatch story was... Or am I fond of it because there's a certain chumminess about us Doctor Who fans with our heroes that I'm not sure I approve of. I'm not sure. I'm so pleased I've I've met so many of my heroes, and and in fact now call some people that have been in doctor who are you know friends of mine i mean i still can't quite get over that i got an email from one the other day who said you don't need to apologize for emailing me i consider you a friend and you go Oh, i don't like that i actually think i i slightly prefer to be slightly detached i like a bit of magic i i like to deify people <laughs> i don't want people to be ordinary <laughs> i want them to be gods <laughs> and monsters um but why I say that? Because the eye patch story is, uh, you know, when I think fans fans got a bit chummy with our heroes, going, "Oh, it's bring Nicholas Courtney doing the eye patch story," and I'm not sure I like that. So actually, uh, but I also I cherish the eye patch story and the fact that such a nice man Nicholas Courtney um, told it and and uh, and and then knew it had become a bit of a cliche, and so was then very self-effacing about it, and and all of that sort of helps to keep something alive that's a piece of television from 50 years ago. The fact that it sort of rumbles through the ages because its it has a life beyond its its existence as something that was on, you know, seven Saturdays in a row several years ago. So, you know, it is part of the fabric of the wonderful world of Doctor Who. Um, so, yes, I vacillate with the eyepatch story. For the reasons I've just outlined. I won't repeat myself. I'll break the habit of a lifetime. I think I summed that up enough. Um The alternative. Earth. Now I want... <laughs> I feel I should choose that now. Because I think Jeremy might choose it. But I feel I need to nod to the Havoc Boys. Because of that stunt of Roy Scammell's there. And the fact that, you know... They fill out this era of the show, but I think they work particularly well with Douglas Camfield. I think their strengths intertwine. Um, But they do give real added value to to the Pertwee era. I think Jeremy might choose the alternative. Uh, uh. And am I being sentimental choosing the Havoc? Guys... (sniffs) Oh, 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 I'm going to choose Havoc. I'm going to choose Havoc. Uh, The Havoc boys, because of what their stunts bring, and particularly because that stunt of that gasometer, the gasometer, is a phenomenal piece of work. I also love the fact that Roy Scammell shoots himself, but also Derek Ware's contribution to what he does, you know, um, on on top of that thing so bravely too, uh, and the fact that he makes it look so... Easy, God. Yeah, Uh, and the fact that you see those faces dotted about, Billy Horrigan and Terry Walsh and uh, Derek Martin and all those guys. You can just have hours of fun watching 70s Doctor Who and seeing if you can identify the stuntmen. Well, you might not be able to. I I, I like doing that. I like doing that more than I like doing exercise. Right, what is Jeremy's
1: favourite thing? (laughs) <laughs> Hello, I am Brigade Under Leader Raddick, and this evening, a strange duplicate of myself appeared in my home, in the midst of a experimental drilling project taking place in my backyard. This man kept blathering on about being from another world, and he was in the midst of recording something for a podcast, video, it was unclear, called Happy Times and Places for someone named Toby, who I can only assume is some kind of spy. (laughs) All he had on him was this video disc copy of an ancient television series called Doctor Who Inferno, this man asked me to watch that video as evidence and record my thoughts on the episodes I saw, and I saw no reason not to humor him. To be honest, I was intrigued. Well, clearly the best thing about this particular episode are the duplicates of Elizabeth Shaw and the Brigadier. Those are clearly this gentleman's favorite things about that episode, and I would have to concur. Seeing these previously stalwart characters become twisted and evil i'm doing air quotes for those of you listening and not viewing this video testimonial evil whatever that may be the duplicate jeremy seemed somewhat chilled at the line then you won't feel the bullets when we shoot you that seemed to him to be a rather horrifying and chilling line well delivered i thought it was a cool line personally didn't see what the problem was. Anyway, yes, definitely my favorite things about the episode were the cool and definitely improved evil duplicates of those boring goody goodies in the other world. Moving on, I will continue my report once we return with the subsequent episode. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I'm falling more in love with Jeremy Raddick as this goes on. Uh, for those of you listening, um, uh, his his contribution there began with him turning around in the chair, and he has a moustache and an eye patch, and a Unity Strength poster in the background. <laughs> So there's a reason to come rushing to the video when it comes out a bit uh, further down the line. I'm the stupidest man on this earth and any alternative iterations. Of course he was going to choose the alternative earth or or some aspect of it. To be fair, he he chose the duplicates, but um, of of course he was going to. So why did I not try and succeed? I, I, I always snatch victory from the jaws of my own defeat. Story of my life. Um, but I'm trying not to care because this is only a podcast and it doesn't really matter, but I'm really annoyed with myself. But, I mean, of all the episodes where the most likely thing to be chosen was screamingly obvious, uh, in fact, I can't think of any episode, any other episode of Doctor Who that has a more obvious thing to choose as its best thing than the alternative Earth Aspect of Inferno, which makes its debut in episode three. I'm an absolute arse. Um, so I've I've faltered in my, my I wasn't even, I say I've squandered my lead. I've squandered my tie, because that's as good as I can hope for. Um, uh, which is ironic, because actually m- more people are wearing a tie in the alternative Earth. Although they're not. No, I've done a Professor Stallman. I've got rid of my tie um uh, uh in, in, in in order to well I celebrated the havoc boys, and there's nothing wrong with that sometimes uh sometimes you go for sentiment when you should use clear logic, and that means I'm very much part of I think the universe of episodes one and two uh in 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 uh, in the reality that I inhabit and perhaps. In order to have chosen episode three, I needed to uh, have a shave, put on a tie, and uh, uh, yeah, and and uh, and and live under a fascist regime, and then I would have chosen the alternative universe. So, listeners to the alternative universe uh, uh, version of this podcast, which is called uh, "Unhappy Places and Times," um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably have done better. I'll probably have done better in, in in that version. But um, you know, it's not the end of the world. Well, not in not in not in this universe. Yeah. So actually the laugh's on you. Um, God bless Jeremy Raddick. Um, I can't wait to see what he's got in store for episode four. Um, but uh for now, uh <laughs> um, well, look, uh May may you always have an eyepatch story in your life um, because uh, sometimes the familiar uh, is comforting. Um, I'll speak to you next time. Thanks very much for watching and listening. Thanks so much to Jeremy. (laughs) What a guy. Um, Come join me for episode four. Ta-ta. Thank you for listening to Unhappy Times and Misplaces, an alternative universe version of Happy Times and Places, with me, Toby Haddock, with an eye patch, and my special guest, Jeremy Raddick, on Twitter, at Jeremy Raddick. We would like to acknowledge those forced to patronize this podcast at gunpoint. We have their families. They are Lisa Gledhill, with an eye patch, Charles Gears, with an eye patch, David Gillespie, with an eye patch, Andrew East, with an eye patch. Paul Dykes with an eyepatch Tim Dickinson with an eyepatch Robert Davis with an eyepatch Rob Dawson with an eyepatch Matt Dale with an eyepatch Dave Curran with an eyepatch Peter Crocker with an eyepatch Paul Cornell with an eyepatch Paul Cornaghi with an eyepatch Charles Coppin with an eyepatch Steve Churchill with an eyepatch and Susan Christian with a different haircut The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson If you would like to prove that unity is strength, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Hadoke and become a patron for as little as £3 a month. Those patrons, they're several months ahead in the drilling. I mean, podcasts. And uh, they also get exclusive and bonus material. And of course, my never ending thanks. if you can't subscribe or don't fancy that, there's the Ko-fi option, ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haddock, where you can do a one-off payment as and when you like. And look, I know times are tough, so I'm just grateful to you for listening. But what costs nothing is to go to your podcast outlet and to give this podcast five stars and perhaps a couple of sentences to say what you like about it, if you do like it. I mean, if you don't like it, just, just stop listening and, and, and go and go be nice about something else elsewhere uh but if you do like it it really helps with all that stuff out there if uh, if i've got five juicy stars and some nice things being said it helps to make my algorithms just look wonderful uh, and uh, i'm very grateful if you can do that I also have a website, www.tobehado.com I'm regularly in Manchester performing live comedy on a Tuesday night at the long-running comedy club Excess Malarkey, which can also be found online every month from August 2021 on the first Sunday of the month on twitch.tv forward slash